Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Jesse from The Best Interest. We met through Twitter and other personal finance communities. And when I heard him speak on Michelle is Money Hungry's podcast, I thought, hey, I want this guy here too. Jesse has a real talent for explaining complex matters in simple terms, especially when it comes to investing, as you will hear. We will talk about how to overcome the mental barriers to start investing in a stock market, how to start from what you know and move to better investing decisions, why you should invest in the first place, and we will also discuss the pretty cool concept of loss aversion. This is something you are already familiar with, but you just haven't put a label on it yet. This episode is for you if you know investing is the right move for your finances, but there is still something holding you back. That is absolutely normal, but I hope this conversation can help you overcome that blocking point and help you get started with investing. So without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello, Jesse. How are you doing today? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing very well. How are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm good for uh, meets uh, soon weekend. So uh, excited and it's beautiful weather. So I, I could not ask for more. And uh, I'm happy as well to talk to you to um, talk. Uh, we will talk about investing. So a topic I love and you too, I know. So uh, maybe we, before we, we head into the topic, uh, Jesse, maybe you can give us a little word about yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Investing is one of my favorite topics too, and investment <laughs> education. And uh, a little about myself. I'm based in uh, Rochester, New York in the United States. And I'm an engineer by training, but on the side, I, I run a small business and in, uh, investment and personal finance education business. It's called The Best Interest. It's a blog, a podcast, and some one-on-one -on -one work with friends, family, and readers who, who want my help. And uh, I've been doing that for about three years, and it's been an amazing journey. I've learned a lot. I've become a better writer, a better speaker, and, and really have, I think, helped a lot of people in, uh, in this space, Jonathan, this personal finance and investing space. Yes, and um, I've listened to one episode with you and Michelle. It was about cryptocurrency, which we will maybe touch upon later on, but at least I really enjoyed the, the conversation. So I thought, I think our listeners, they need to hear you speak about investing. You know, investing, it's something that to you and me, after several years, it's logic. You know, you mm -hmm. put your money, you save some money, and then you put some to work for it to grow over the long haul. And I think many listeners, many people in general in my daily life and in your daily life as well, I'm sure, they, okay, I think they are interested. They want to have their money grow. That's not the big deal. Everybody wants uh, to become a bit richer or to do something else with their money. Now, uh, what I found, it's um, not about always the, the education. I mean, you can teach about investing in stocks or maybe even the cryptocurrency that we mentioned. It's not always about that. Uh, it, it seems that it, it's difficult for people who are not uh, yet in, involved to, to start to invest. And, and I thought maybe what could be those um, yeah, blocking points that you have seen or heard in your experience? Why are people not investing if... You know, I mean, you can show the calculators, it grows exponentially, etc. If you invest mm -hmm. in the stock market, for example, but why aren't people taking action? What, what do you think is um, blocking them to start? 
Yeah, it's a it's a trillion dollar question. What yes, I know. <laughs> millions and billions of people. Yeah, uh, it's an excellent question. And one thing I would start with, Jonathan, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll challenge you, I'll challenge myself, and I'll challenge all the listeners, is to think of something that you personally are knowledgeable about. Perhaps you're even an expert on. Mm-hmm. And then travel back in time to a point and, and try to remember a point when you knew nothing about that subject and contrast what it was like then versus what it's like now. It's fairly difficult to do. Uh, Some people call that the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge being you and I, Jonathan, now that we know a lot about investing, now that we are fairly experienced, now that we we have such a good understanding of it that to us it's second nature. Of course I'm going to invest. Yeah. Well, how do we put ourselves in the shoes of someone who's never invested before? How do we go back in time and try to, to relate to that person? How do we communicate with that person? How do we explain concepts to them that don't intimidate them? How do we go back to the simplest concepts we can? How do we explain every single phrase and terminology that's specific to investing to them? It's harder than it sounds. And I think as the listeners and as you, Jonathan, if if you really think about it, whether you're thinking about investing or, or some other hobby that you have, it can be challenging once you become an expert to go back in time and speak with beginners. Yes, indeed. So that's one place where I'd start is just how, how do we how do we get people to invest? How do we convince more people to invest? One of the first things we can do is really consider how we communicate with them, what we say, how we say it, how much we listen, what kind of questions they're going to ask us and, and how we answer them. Um, something I think about as I'm writing and as I'm speaking on the podcast and, and a lot of people in the space do a, a great job of it. At the same time, I see some people in this financial education space who sometimes skip important steps. It doesn't take many skipped steps until you've lost your audience and they don't really know what you're talking about anymore. Or maybe they're intimidated about what you're talking about. And, and at that point, they're probably going to stop listening to you. I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. No, no, but, but it, it's it important. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it, it, it trans, uh, we're, we're going to transition, I think, fairly smoothly into, so now imagine that person who knows nothing about investing or they've, they've never really sat down and tried to understand investing. What do they know about it? Well, the, the news, the news media informs them a little bit about investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of pop culture might inform them. Some social media probably informs them. So if I'm thinking about someone here in 2021, they might know a bit about Bitcoin or crypto. They might have heard of that. They might have heard of meme stocks like GameStop. Yeah. In other words, these are things that can get you rich quickly or have gotten people rich quickly. They've also heard about market crashes, stuff like the 2008 financial crisis and the big short. They know that movie, the big short. Brad Pitt was in it. <laughs> so, you know, They're familiar with those things. Um, they might ask themselves, how is investing, whether it's the stock market or some other form of investing, how is that different from gambling? To me, it just feels like gambling. I know that's one hesitation that people have mm-hmm. from getting into investing. Or they think to themselves, well, investing kind of involves lots of money moving around in potentially shady Wall Street meeting rooms, and it's all about the 1% and investment banking, and, and those people are the investors, not average people like me. So I think those are some of the, some of the generally held opinions about investing for people who have never really dipped their toe into investing, and it's our job to try to break down some of those mistruths because because really those are those are headlines those aren't the the real truth of what investing is to average people like you and me 
And I think it's our job to explain how the average worker can develop a a fairly low-risk, long-term investing mindset and set themselves up for their money to grow over the next few decades and so that their retirement will be comfortable. So that's the basic message, and and I think that's an effective message that's getting across to more and more people. Yes, indeed. It does not have to be... um... Like on the movies, uh, you see the guys making a super deal overnight and then they make millions overnight or something. It does not have to be like this. The game is actually, it's a long-term game, as you say, and it's really not what you see on television. So that's, I think, uh, a misassociation that happens. And then, indeed, we need to re-explain the basics, which is not always easy to do because it's a lot of pop culture that has been ingrained into into us and into me as well. I mean, a couple of years back. I think I started investing personally 2014, 2015. But before that, I had not a really good idea. I still thought about the Wolf of Wall Street and these things. Huh? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I'm joking, but it's true. So I, I just started small, but I don't know how you address then the, the the topic, for example. I mean, if you meet someone or if you talk to someone that says, oh, look, uh, watch this movie or uh, I listen to, uh, okay, should I invest in GameStop? Uh, how would you address that, uh, Jesse, to, to them to, to get started? If, if someone came to me and asked me if they should invest in GameStop, it, it's a tough conversation right off the bat. It, it really yes. is. Because, you know, I, you, you would ask that person or I'd ask the general public, which is a more enticing story? Uh, man turns $10,000 into $100,000 in less than a month. Mm-hmm. Or man turns ten thousand dollars into twenty thousand dollars over ten years. Well, y- yes, <laughs> it's the first one, right? It's the GameStop story. Everybody loves the idea that you can ten x your money in a matter of weeks. Yes, but it's um, and so it is the 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 real investing story, if you will, is quite boring. Unfortunately, um, it's boring but effective, and I think that's over the long haul, or as we educate people and we keep on beating into them that. It's boring, but effective. It's boring, but effective. It starts to sink in a little bit. And because um, I, I do tell people that if you buy a stock market index fund uh, over the course of historical stock market returns, you would have, on average, doubled your money roughly every 10 years. Yes. Every decade, you double your money. Every decade, you double your money. Not guaranteed, but that's what the average has been historically. So if someone came to me and said uh, they want to invest in GameStop, I might challenge them on the spot and say, awesome, let's talk business fundamentals. What do you like about GameStop? Maybe they have a good answer. I bet they don't, though, right off the bat. I bet they don't. I, I think you say, what do you mean business fundamentals? Yeah, well, you know, is it revenues, is it price to earnings. What is it about GameStop as a stock, as a business that you like? Because if their answer is, well, uh, some guys on Reddit were talking about it, and uh, my buddy down the street just 10x'd his money in a month, I might say, sounds like you don't know a lot about the business itself, because they probably don't. I might ask them, oh, well, you can explain what a short squeeze is to me. Can you explain a short squeeze and and why the stock has gone up in price so much as it did in the beginning of 2021? If they don't know what a short squeeze is, if if they did know what a short squeeze is, maybe I should start there. If they knew what a short squeeze was, I doubt they would want to dive in once the stock had already gone up in price. So it's, it's those kind of questions where I think you can use the, the Socratic method, Socrates, cool dude, Greek dude, Socrates, his, his method of education was all about asking questions. You ask the questions and then the respondent to your questions in answering them 
they almost they weave their own path towards the right answer. And if you ask the right questions about GameStop in this case, they will eventually, I I hope, they will reach this answer where they say, oh, you know what? I actually don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know a lot about GameStop. I don't know a lot about short squeezes. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand why the stock has gone up 20 times in price over the last month. Maybe I should sit this one out. No, that's very good. I like the Socrates method. Uh, It's uh, something, yeah, it's really to to help the... um the person you talk to, to, uh, to think about it a bit more deeply, just take, take a pause. What is it? What will make your company, uh, sorry, your uh, investment, uh, grow 10x, 10x the value. What are the business fundamentals? And then, okay, then is this when you, once the person kind of find his path that you then, um, go to index funds, etc., or you, there's something in between yeah. that I'm missing or, um, no, good question. But yeah, I think I would. I mean, that's when you yeah. start to say, okay, so so you don't know a lot about GameStop specifically. That's mm-hmm. okay. Well, let's go on to another business. Say you want to invest in Tesla. You've seen Tesla in the news, or or maybe you say, I want to invest in Ford Motor Company or, or Amazon or Google, Facebook, whatever it is. You still have to ask this question. Let's talk about the business fundamentals. Do you mm-hmm. understand the business fundamentals? If you want to invest in that company, are you suggesting that you think the company that the stock is underpriced right now and that you'd be buying it at a good price and that the price is going to go up in the future? Why do you think that? What's your thesis? What's your investment thesis? I can't answer that question very well for a lot of companies out there, Jonathan. And, and it takes a quite a bit of research to have an educated answer to those questions. And there are highly educated, very motivated, smart people on Wall Street who spend 80 hours a week answering those questions for only four or five or six companies. If you look at a real investment analyst on Wall Street, they aren't experts in 200 companies. They might be experts in a dozen or eight or four companies. And they dedicate all their waking hours to understanding the business fundamentals of those companies and when it's a good time to buy and a good time to sell. So if the average Joe comes to me and says, yeah, you know what? I I see Amazon. I buy Amazon a lot. I see the trucks on the street. I think it's a good time to invest. I'm going to say, wait a second. (laughs) Let's talk about the kind of research that a professional does versus the kind of research that you've done. And again, I'm trying to get at the point with this person that they are likely out of their depth, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. They're entering the pool. They've dipped their toe in and they think they can handle the water and they don't see the sharks that are swimming out 10 feet from shore. And it's pushing the conversation towards the idea for me and, and for many people I talk to. It's pushing them towards index funds. The idea that we are not experts enough to handpick individual stocks. However, we can make good judgment that the economy as a whole wants to grow and that human beings over time have the desire to grow, to improve their lives, to improve society, and that the economy will, will grow over the coming decades. The index fund holds stocks across the wide breadth of the economy. And some of those stocks will rise, some of them will fall, but on average, the trend tends to go upwards. And we are investing in that upward trend, which, as I alluded to earlier, roughly doubles your money every 10 years, historically. And uh, that's good enough. That's a good enough investment for many people. And if you compare that index fund investment against a uh, a portfolio of hand-picked stocks, the index fund tends to do just as well. Because the more stocks you handpick, uh, the more your average will settle towards the entire market average. And, and I think that's where you start to convince people 
is to basically say you, you convince them by saying, no offense, you're not an expert enough to be making these picks that you want to make. And if you just settle on the average stock market return via an index fund, that's something that you can depend on over time. And it's something that will make your future planning easier and it'll grow your money in a pretty satisfactory way. Mm -hmm. And Jesse, so you personally, you, I guess you invest in, um, in a broad index fund, but do you, you, you never invest in individual stocks then, or uh, maybe after a while, or how do you do it yourself? I can tell you my, my exact portfolio. I'll, I'll answer both questions. Okay. So my, my portfolio is comprised of a, a total U.S. market index fund, mm -hmm. a total international market index fund, a little bit of a bond index fund, which I catch some flack for. We've talked about stocks. We haven't really talked about bonds. Bonds aren't doing very well right now. And so some of my friends, be it on social media or in real life, they give me a hard time for <laughs> having some money in bonds. But mm -hmm. I, I have my reasons. Yeah. Um, full disclosure. I don't mind saying that I also have about 2% of my money, 2% of my investments right now are in a Bitcoin investment trust and an Ethereum investment trust. So those are both mutual funds yeah. that all the mutual fund owns is Bitcoin and all the mutual fund owns is Ethereum. So it allows me to buy and sell those cryptocurrencies through uh, Fidelity. It also means that I don't have to keep track of the private keys, the passwords myself. Yep. They do it on my behalf, mm -hmm. but I still get exposure to the upside of those cryptocurrencies if they happen to double, triple, 10x in price. Yeah. And if they go to zero, I'm okay with it's 2%, losing 2% yeah. of my money. Exactly. So, so no individual stocks then? Correct. So coming okay. back to that part of your question, exactly. I, I don't own any individual stocks right now. Uh, I do have some stock options for the, I, I work for a publicly traded company and they've given me some stocks over the years, mm -hmm. which when I'm able to sell them and convert them into an index fund, I likely will. At this point in time, I, I can't actually do anything with them other than put them in a little corner of my Fidelity account and watch what they do. I've thought about it though, Jonathan. I mean, full transparency. I've certainly thought about maybe I should sit down with my, with my knowledge, with a handy copy of the intelligent investor next to me <laughs> and uh, just, yeah, try my hand again, take 2% of my total portfolio, some small, small percentage and try my hand at becoming a real individual stock picking investor, uh, partly for the challenge, partly because I do think it's fun to sit down and look at a company and say, let me try to evaluate this company. Is it underpriced? Is it overpriced? Should I buy it? Should I short it? But I just, I haven't done it yet. I haven't had the time or necessarily the drive because I'm fairly satisfied with my index fund returns. And uh, if I were to do any individual stock picking, it wouldn't be to chase return. It would simply be as more of a science experiment because I think it's fun. Science, science and entertainment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very good. And then, okay. So you, <clears throat> you talk to the, this uh, average Joe and I think it, it makes sense huh? the way you explain it. Okay, you, you um, invest in a broad index fund. Basically, you invest in the world economy or the U.S. economy. Of course, it's made out of people who sells products and services, who wants to improve the society. So in theory, and based on the, on the historical values, although it's not a predictor, it grows over the long term. So I think this makes sense, and I think most people will understand that. Now they are, let's say, convinced, or maybe they need to do some... Uh, hear it two or three more times, but 
how do they get started then if if that's what they want because you know you can invest and, and become uh, more wealthy double your money every 10 years maybe there's a goal or a need, um, yeah a reason to to invest actually what would be a reason because i mean maybe people they are perfectly happy they are um, making enough money and they still have some money left after the month so why should they start investing mm-hmm. maybe i should have started with that but okay no yeah. no I mean, that's a, that's a good, it's a good question. And I think everybody's answer will be different, right? This is where yeah. we get back to that, that cliche, but it's a good cliche of personal finance being personal. Everybody's going to have their own reasons. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, without investing, uh, my retirement timeline would likely be significantly decelerated, right? So let's say for, for the sake of conversation that I would like to retire by age 50. Yeah. Well, investing is what is allowing me to get there by age 50 instead of say age 65 or 70. So investing allows me to accrue more wealth more quickly and accelerate the timeline to which I won't have to work anymore so that I can retire and, and pursue other interests. And, and, and that is probably the biggest rationale for most investors is to take money, usually extra money that they happen to have right now and like you said, Jonathan, I think you've said it a few times now, put it to work. You put your capital to work, either in the form of uh, the stock market, where a, a company basically takes your capital and um, they put your money to work and, and they can grow that capital more effectively than you could on your own. You could invest, say, in local real estate, buy a, buy a house down the street and, and fix up the house and rent it out to somebody. Okay, so now you're taking your, your capital possession, that house, and you're renting it to someone and they're paying you for that service so that they can live in your house, you're putting your money to work so that an, another person is is using your money, for lack of a better term, in the form of this house, mm-hmm. and they're paying you for it. Excellent, excellent. The idea is that money can do more than just sit in your bank account. It can do more than just sit under your mattress, which we can come back to that. Why is it always a mattress? I don't know. <laughs> Why? But the idea is, you know, money can do good in this world. Other people can use your money for their own needs, and then they will pay you for that. And oftentimes what they will pay you is significantly more than if that money were just sitting idle in your bank or in your mattress. Yeah. And you know, okay, you can invest, then your money works for you. If you don't, if you say, no, no, it's not for me still, I mean, uh, I, I enjoy and appreciate the conversation you're having, but still investing is not for me. So my money, okay, I put it under the mattress or uh, wherever it is in a in mm-hmm. a in a safe. But what is the risk of of doing that? What is the missed opportunity cost then of uh, not investing? Yeah, you hit you hit the nail on the head. There is an opportunity cost there, and I, I see a couple a couple um, alarming opportunity costs of not investing. So one is um, you can do low risk investing. If, if someone's worried about the high risks of the stock market, say, where, yes, I, I might average a 7 to 10% return per year, but I also might lose 30 or 40 or 50% of my wealth if the market crashes. I, I can understand the, the risk of the, the aversion to that risk, but there are lower risk forms of investing. We talk about the, um, there's something called the risk-free return, which here in the USA is uh, exemplified by the, the uh, U.S. Treasury bond. Where basically the U.S. government, the U.S. Treasury, promises to give you a certain return on your investment if you buy their bonds. 
right now it's it's historically low. It's only like 1.2 or 1.5 percent on a 10-year Treasury bond, mm-hmm. meaning you'll only get 1.2 percent returns per year. But it's guaranteed. It's risk-free. The only risk that you won't get that money is if there is a global cataclysm. And I'm serious. Like society would have to break down in a very bad way for you not to get a return on your money there. And and you will have bigger things to worry about if that's the case. You won't be missing that 1.2% return if the neighborhood is on fire. Yeah. Okay. So so right there, there's the opportunity cost, a very simple opportunity cost of sticking your money under your mattress. It could be making 1.2% per year. You're missing out on that. But there are other opportunity costs. Obviously, we talked about the benefits of stock market investing of a broad index fund, which over the course of many decades has been shown to be quite a dependable form of obtaining a 7 to 10% return per year. Uh, Any given year, you might lose, but over many, many, many years, on average, you will win. So there's an opportunity cost to not taking advantage of that. And then the last one that we haven't really touched on yet is inflation. Yeah. Inflation is a hot topic right now, at least in the USA, coming out of, well, I was about to say coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll see about that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a bit of a a roller coaster the last few months here. But the idea is that the the U.S. government has has minted new money to to help people out during this COVID-19 pandemic. And that has many people worried about inflation. Inflation is the idea that your dollars lose spending power over time or that you could take $1,000, stick it under your mattress today. (laughs) And sure, in 10 years, you will still have $1,000. But will that $1,000 buy the same amount of goods in 10 years that it can buy today? The answer is no, that it'll buy less in 10 years. So your dollars are losing value as they sit there under your mattress, losing value to inflation. And that is an opportunity cost. And that's that's quite a big one. Yeah, absolutely. So the combination of those different opportunity costs can really affect someone's long-term wealth. And and the longer you sit there with those dollars under your mattress, the more you are going to pay those opportunity costs. The more inflation is going to eat away at your your net worth and the more you'll be missing the fact that you could have been invested in something that's growing, but but you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think as well there's a little psychology here. I will not enter the details, but you know when you may miss on an opportunity like the stock market. It's as well because people are afraid because they don't know it, which is okay. It's normal. And there's a concept called loss aversion, mm-hmm. meaning you are willing to let go of an opportunity because you're afraid to lose. Yes. I think you you know this concept quite well. Could you explain it a little bit more uh, with our um, example here of investing? Certainly. So yeah, loss aversion is a very cool concept that comes out of the field of behavioral economics, mm-hmm. which which some of you might know is um, some folks like Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky and um, Richard Thaler. They've all won Nobel Prizes in economics for their work there. So loss aversion specifically. Uh, let's go with a good example of loss aversion. These researchers, they asked some uh, some study participants, they said, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how good does it feel to get uh, to find a hundred dollar bill sitting on the sidewalk, how how good does that feel? Okay, they they got their answer, and then they asked a different group of participants, all randomly selected, and they said, hey, if you got a one hundred dollar fine for some silly little thing you did, how bad would it feel to get that hundred dollar fine? 
and they got their answer. And what they found about the average human being is that the average human feels worse about the $100 loss than they feel good about the $100 gain. Yeah. So that concept is called loss aversion. And what it means is that given a 50-50 opportunity where the wins and the losses are equal on either side, humans will tend to uh, walk away from, they'll, they'll tend to be fearful of the loss more than they feel enthusiastic about the gain. Mm-hmm. So here in, in the stock market, what I could say is, um, well, I could say on average, you are going to get a 10% return on your investment per year. However, once every five years, you're going to have to go through this period called a, a bear market or a crash mm-hmm. where you're going to lose between 20 and 40% of your wealth. Are you willing to put up with that? And if someone sat down and did the math, they would say, well, if you're telling me I'm going to get 7 to 10% on average per year, I'm just going to take that because it's greater than zero, right? You're telling me I'm going to gain money over time. So if I were this mathematical robot, of course I would take that opportunity. Sure. But I'm not a mathematical robot, right? I'm this fleshy-brained, slightly over-evolved chimp who has this thing called loss aversion. And many people will see that and they say, listen, I just can't deal with the fact of watching 40% of my wealth disappear. So I'm I'm not going to take you up on your offer. I'm not going to take that bet. I don't want to invest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we need to try to do is we need to try to remove the emotion from investing. Much, much harder said. No, let me see. Much, much harder <laughs> done yeah. than said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but really, that is the goal. And, and it's one of my big goals when I write. And it's something that's really helped me over time. It's just you kind of you look at the math and you look at the probabilities. You look at the odds. I have this thing that I'm actually, you know, maybe too proud of. Uh, but it was an article I wrote recently where I, ca- I say um, you need to perform a fire drill on your investing. You're familiar with fire drills, Jonathan, where yes. there's no fire. You practice right? but, but, the emergency, uh, pra- I mean, yeah, practice, yeah, the, the, the drill, yeah. Exactly, exactly. You pretend that there's an emergency mm-hmm. and you practice what you need to do in that emergency so that when the emergency comes, you don't have to think about it. The last thing, I mean, it's it's kind of sad or it's a little scary. It's it's worth thinking about. The last thing you want to do in a fire is wonder where the exit is. The last thing you want to do is double check whether you should turn around and get your phone. No, no. We want you to practice what you need to do, which is get your butt out of the building. Here's your closest exit. Okay, so let's go to something less serious. Let's go back to investing. The last thing I want someone to do when the market drops 20% Seven. is panic and think about selling. Exactly. I want people and I want myself to practice it beforehand and say, you know what? I know that 20% drop is coming. I don't know when. If I did, I'd be a billionaire, but I know it's going to come eventually. And when it does come, I want to be mentally prepared. I'm not going to sell. I'm just going to stay the course. I feel good about that. I have faith in my choices. That's what I'm going to do. And I'll tell you, Jonathan, it worked pretty well for me back in March 2020 during the uh, the COVID-19 crash. I just kind of watched the market almost like a, a third party observer watching from above, like like in, in the movie when the, the soul leaves the body in the hospital room, just kind <laughs> yeah, of watching yeah. the emergency room from above. That's what I felt like with my portfolio, where I just I watched it drop. I watched it drop. I watched it drop. And I said, it was going to happen eventually. I'm just kind of curious what's going to happen. You know, when is it going to recover? Is it going to be a month, a year, 10 years? I'm just going to let it ride. Thankfully, it did recover in a month. And um who knows, maybe I would have panicked more if it stayed low for a number of years, but I'd like to think not. 
But um, anyway, I, I attribute some of that to my thinking beforehand of running these quote unquote fire drills on my investment portfolio, thinking about the worst that could happen and preparing for what I would do when a bad thing did happen. Yes. And, and you know, it's funny, uh, Jesse, because I talked to uh, a friend today about uh, stock markets and investing, and he just started to invest at that time, just two weeks before the crash, the COVID-19 crash in March 2020. But luckily, he had already done a lot of research prior to investing. He got educated, so he, he got brave and uh, he he stayed the course and he even invested more because he had had this education. So he kind of practiced this uh, emergency drill uh, exercise. So he he managed to stay the course and to grow his money quite well. And okay, he was just starting. So I mean, he he's uh, I mean he, he's done well. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. th this is very important actually. Uh, well, well, thinking of that story, I mean, your your friend had particularly bad luck because I could see them. They put their money in, say, in in February 2020, and within two weeks, their uh, their portfolio value was legitimately 20 or 30 percent lower. Correct. Than what their paper value was when they initially invested. Mm -hmm. And that's slightly different than probably me or you. So I've been I've been investing since I got my first job in, in 2012. And so I could sit there in March 2020 and I could say, yes, I just lost 25 percent of my portfolio value. However, since 2012, when I started, I'm still up 200 yeah. percent or whatever the math was. Right. Mm -hmm. I could I could make myself feel better with that fact. Uh, and I think, you know, if you, you mentioned earlier that you started investing in, in 2014, 2015, you're in a fairly similar boat, I think. Yeah. However, your friend, your friend didn't have that luxury. And, and that does make the, the mental task quite a bit harder to, to still maintain that that long term point of view when you're a month into investing and you've just watched the market crash uh, 20 to 30 percent. That's hard. That's yeah, hard. It's hard. Yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> I, I give your friend a lot of credit for having done some homework beforehand for for understanding that these kind of things can happen, will happen and do happen. And when it did happen, they they stayed the course. Uh, kudos to them. That's excellent. You know, absolutely. Because um, should it have been myself, maybe I would have said, oh, no, actually, it's bad. I, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, let's say I put 10,000 euros and I lose uh, 30%. Of that. Okay, I just lost 3,000 euros or dollars. It doesn't matter. Maybe I would not have uh, stayed the course. Huh? Maybe I would say, okay, actually, it's not for me. Right, exactly. And I can't blame, I can't blame anyone for thinking that when it does happen. I, I know even, um, I know my, my dad has, has some stories about investing in, uh, in the late nineties in, in the dot com boom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it was probably, it involved individual stocks and, uh, I know he lost some money there and it, it turned him off to the idea of stock market investing some, sometimes to his, to his benefit where he avoided some down years. But I think, I think on the whole, just understanding what the stock market has done over the past 20 years, I think on the whole, he's probably paid an opportunity cost mm -hmm. for, for not investing in the stock market. However, just digressing a little bit, what I will say is his financial plan is built upon a, a lower average return than what the stock market can provide. In other words, he's chosen safer investments that return lower amounts per year, mm -hmm. but he's built his financial plan on that. So his investments and his financial plan, they are aligned. 
And that really at the end of the day is, is important. No matter what you choose to invest in, you have to make sure that your plan is relatively aligned to your choices. Yeah. So if, you know, if someone's choosing to take the route of sticking money under their mattress, that is okay. But you can't build a plan as if you are going to be gaining 10% of wealth per year, right? Those, those two facts simply don't align and you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, sure. And then Jesse, maybe to close off a little bit. So you have all this information, uh, like my colleague, where can people look for information? I mean, there are so many things. I think you, you mentioned social media and everything and 2020 and 2021 were marked by uh, many advice uh, on TikTok, on uh, social media, on whatever, Reddit. But where should people start to look actually? Is it books? Is it a particular uh, YouTube channel or a podcast or a blog? What would you recommend to, to a starter, to a newbie? That's an excellent question and a hard question I It's think, hard. to answer yeah. at times, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the, the reason why is because on the one hand, I want to say to people, you can find great information in so many different places because that is the truth, uh, right? They could come to this podcast and find excellent information. They could come to, you know, I, I would hope they would want to come to my blog. <laughs> and if they found that the blog was helpful, I think that's a good place to come for information. But at the same time, just like you said, Jonathan, uh, they could go to TikTok and there are some amazing TikTok uh, creators who are providing excellent information. There are also many TikTok creators who are knowingly or unknowingly providing terrible information, absolutely terrible, antithetical to anything good information. So it's, it's, it's a dangerous game to say, uh, trust social media, trust a random blogger, trust a random podcast. Yeah. So the one thing that you can try to do, though, just like in investing, coincidentally, you can diversify your information sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. And, and, that, and that, that's what I recommend people do. Read a few different blogs. Read uh, CNBC and the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. Uh, listen to a few different podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And what I've noticed over time is that I, I hear people who sound rational, who explain themselves really well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I see that a few different people who are doing that, they all send, tend to say the same thing. And I realize, oh, there's some consensus around that particular topic. And then when someone comes along and doesn't sound rational or doesn't explain themselves well, and they're talking about something far different than what I'm used to, I'm able to look at that person and say, gosh, this sounds really weird. You know, this, <laughs> this sounds like a scam. This sounds bad. And, and then, you know, I can go out and research that more on the Internet and say, is Dogecoin really the future of uh, the financial system? Oh, okay. It seems like it's not. Or it seems like the people who created Dogecoin literally did it as a joke. That's true. Yeah. They say it themselves. <laughs> They say it themselves. It was a joke. Okay. So, so that makes me say, you know what? Dogecoin is not for me. It might be for someone else. That's not for me. I've done my research on it. So this is a long-winded answer. But, but my point is diversify your, your media sources, especially when you're learning about money. Try to find consensus. Try to find people who seem rational who explain themselves well. And, uh, and over time, I think you can't help but start to learn. And, and then that's really, that's really when you're, you're investing in your, your personal finance journey will take off. Yeah, no, very, uh, no, I like the answer and uh, the diversification. So that's uh, very good. And yeah, I mean, I'm listening to different podcasts, different, uh, I watch different YouTubers 
And sometimes, you know, over time, then you say, look, I like, for example, this YouTuber, but when he speaks about real estate, I prefer not to listen to, or at least I don't agree with his ideas, or I like um, this guy, for example, I had a guest called Kanwal, Kanwal Sarai. He's very good at explaining stocks, uh, individual stocks. For, so for me, it speaks to me, but it might not speak to somebody who who is more prone to uh, ETFs. So it, it really depends. And but and both are good, you know? So it's it's really, yeah, you, you really make your own personal finance uh, modules, let's say, or, or yeah, philosophy based on several sources. But yeah, it's a bit hard maybe in the beginning to to find the relevant one. But then, yeah, okay, the more you read, the more you you will start to to filter out the right information and who's saying good stuff or an... Uh, who you should not uh, listen to. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you just, you said something there, Jonathan, that's worth, that's worth highlighting, I think, mm -hmm. which is that you need to find someone who speaks to you in a way that you can convince yourself that say the investment that they're talking about is, is the smart thing to do. Yeah. Um, because if that investment maybe goes down in the future, you need to be able to go back to your rationale for investing in the first place and say, do I really have the conviction to stay with this thing? Because I think one of the, I don't want to say one of the worst things you can do, but it is a, a, a bad practice is to hear one person say one thing about one particular investment, then to dump a bunch of money into it. And then as soon as that investment goes down, you say you lose your faith and you say, oh, time to sell, time to sell. And, and why is that? Well, it's because you weren't really convicted of it enough in the first place. You didn't yeah. have the conviction in the first place. So do your research. Find rationale that speaks to you such that you can convince yourself that it's a smart thing to do. And having that conviction will will help you in the long run uh, to, to stick with long-term investments. Yeah, no, very good. I really like really this tip. And uh, look, uh, Jesse, I think it, it was very interesting. And I think it gives a lot of material for um, the listeners to, to think about. And I am sure it will be helpful and that they will be drawn to listen to your podcast as well. And then uh, before I let you go, we have our three quick fire question, which I would like to ask you. And um, and then we'll close off the show. So my number one question, uh, Jesse, is what has been your best investment so far? It's a good question. Uh, it would probably be the total U.S. Uh, index fund, mm -hmm. total U.S. stock index fund. I think I was just looking the other day and since since 2012 the it's about it's up about 300% and that oh. includes uh reinvesting dividends and I I think that is not adjusted for inflation. So on on real terms once in once in, uh, adjusted for inflation I don't think it's up that much but but yeah, for but inflation, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, it's up that much. So I'll take it. It's that's quite good. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, that's excellent. And then the second question is: uh, We talked uh, about sources, but what is a book you can recommend to anyone? It does not need to be a financial book, but what is the book that you you would say to anyone? Read this. It's amazing. <laughs> mm. uh, that, that is a good question. Uh, I mean, Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a great book. No. Uh, I'm a half joking. I, I do think Harry I Potter like Harry Potter, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, yes, I mean, my mind does immediately go to some uh, investing books and, and the two I would point people towards if you happen to be particularly math minded and you want to get into some of the interesting nitty gritty of investing, I would point you to a random walk down Wall Street. 
by Burton Mulkeel. And then if rather you just want to, maybe you're getting started in investing or you just want to hear what a few smart people have to say about investing, I would point you to a Boglehead's Guide to Investing, or maybe it's the Boglehead Guide to Investing. Yeah. You should, should be easy to find. Yeah, absolutely. No, very good. Uh, good suggestions. Uh, random walk down Wall Street is something uh, this, uh, that I still need to read myself or uh, yeah, get my hands on. And then, uh, but I still have a lot of uh, a long list of books before I get there. But it's uh, it's on my list as well. So, good suggestion. And then the last question uh, for today is: um, What is a purchase uh, you would recommend for under a hundred dollars? I like music. And I also like podcasts. Mm-hmm. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm, I'm usually listening to something. So a, a high quality Bluetooth speaker that can connect to your phone, yep. you can find a, a very good one that still is under $100. You can even find good ones for, for $20 or $30. And the one that I have, I've had for almost two years now. I use it close to every single day. And it's awesome. It is an excellent speaker. And it's always in use. And I'm always listening to something. I think it's a great purchase. Yeah, very cool, very cool. I'm a fan of podcasts and music as well. So yeah, it's uh, definitely, uh, it's something I like to spend money on as well. So uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's great to accompany your day and to learn something or to relax. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. So Jesse, uh, talking about speakers and podcasts, where can the listeners find you? Well, they can, uh, they can find me. If they want to kind of reach out to me directly, probably the easiest way is on Twitter where my handle is at best interest underscore JC. And then uh, I would love it if people came in and read the blog, which is bestinterest.blog, or if they listen to the podcast, which is the best interest podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and a couple others. But either way, if you Google the best interest, Google Jesse Kramer, my stuff usually comes up and I, I would love to speak with you guys. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I will link everything in the show notes so uh, you can find Jesse very easily. So Jesse, once again, uh, thank you for coming. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, thank you for having me, Jonathan. I appreciate it. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something from it. I'm sure you did. (laughs) And if you found it useful, please make sure you share it with a friend. And you can also rate the show in your favorite podcast app. This will help the show to grow. So if you do so, thank you very much. And now before we head off, Let's go through the key takeaways for today. Number one, should I invest in this trendy GameStop stock everyone is talking about? Well, to address this question, amigo, you can use the Socratic method and ask yourself questions to weed out your own path. What are the business fundamentals? What do you like about the company? Why has the stock gone up so much? And this is actually valid for every type of company you want to analyze and invest in. And when it comes to individual stocks as a whole, can pick a handful and diversify your risk. Some will be successful, some not. That's why you need to diversify. But you cannot be an expert at every stock you pick. It's very difficult for us average Joes. Luckily, there is a boring but effective solution to that problem. And that is number two, index funds. We are not expert enough, but we can make a fair judgment that the economy as a whole wants to grow. A way to benefit from this long-term growth is investing in index funds which are a collection of shares from the whole market. From historical data, the markets are going upwards, with ups and downs, obviously, at an average rate of 7%. This means that it is roughly doubling every 10 years. And for this, you can use the rule of 72. It's a neat uh, calculation trick. I have the link in the, in the show notes. 
you divide 72 by the rate, so by 7, so 72 divided by 7 will give you the number of years it takes to double in value. And again, investing in index funds is boring, but effective. Number three, what is the reason to invest? Why should you start investing? Well, investing puts your money to work, allowing it to grow without additional efforts from you. Everyone will have their reason to invest, like for example, uh, an earlier retirement or making work optional for you. What are opportunity costs of not investing? If someone doesn't invest, their typical alternative is sticking money in the bank. You will miss on returns from risk-free treasury bonds in the US, stock market returns as we discussed, and your money under the mattress can even lose its purchasing power due to inflation. Not investing will affect your long-term wealth, and the longer you sit with your money under your bed, the more you will pay for those costs, and that is the opportunity costs. Number four, loss aversion. Yeah, the, the cool concept from uh, behavioral economics, and this is something you have already experienced. Huh? You, you find this $100 bill on the street, you're happy, you're like, hey, cool, I have a good day. And then the next day, you have an unexpected cost, uh, you know, some repair at home, or you get a speeding ticket. The intensity of your emotions will be higher in the, in the case of the loss. And when it comes to the stock market, mathematically, we know that the best option over the long term is investing in the stock market, but we are humans, and it's hard to deal with those losses. We need to remove the emotions from investing, and a good way to do that is to perform fire drills on our finances. So we avoid to panic sell, for example, during a crash. It's all about thinking ahead and be mentally prepared. And last but not least, diversify your information sources. Read different sources, listen to different podcasts, watch different news channels or YouTubes, look for people who sound rational, people who explain themselves really well, and after a while you will find a sort of consensus, and this will make it easy for you to be able to find a rational that speaks to you personally when it comes to your finances. And then I have actually a last question to all of you amigos. Do people still keep money under their mattresses? I mean, are you doing that? Let me know, let me know. I would be keen to hear. <laughs> So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.